News, politics, and special guests with a Texas twist. That's the goal of the Luke Messias Show. Our nation and state are at a crossroads, and if you're not informed, you're not equipped to make the change our community needs. Join the conversation and join the cause for liberty today. Well, welcome to the Luke Messias Show. Today, I am joined by a friend of mine who I have been in the fight with for a very long time, who is now running Texans for Fiscal Responsibility, and that is Tim Harden. Tim and I uh, started working together when he was hired as Jonathan Stickland's chief of staff, and I was in the Capitol working with these conservative legislators on the regular, and so we worked together. Here's why I've asked Tim to join us today. Guys, there's a big discussion going on in Texas about property taxes, uh, and that is really a discussion that can't be had without also talking about the budget in Texas. So we're really going to have a discussion about what are we spending money on? We're also going to talk about what it looks like uh, with the existing property tax relief that is being presented by the legislature. There's one thing in particular that I'm pretty unhappy with in general. And then we're also going to talk about the comments that have been made by our governor, Governor Greg Abbott, about getting rid of the M&O portion of your property taxes and saying that that is a commitment he is making to the people of Texas. And then the question is going to be, are the actions being taken by the budget writers in Texas reflective of that as a goal? So that's really what we're going to be breaking down today. Here's the most important thing you need to understand. You're going to see a lot of posts out there by Republicans saying that there is $15 billion of property tax relief being given to Texans. And what we're going to explain to you in this conversation is that it's not $15 billion. It's less than $10 billion because they're counting property tax relief that they gave last session that they're continuing to fund. Okay. And, and just to give you like the slight absurdity of that logic, imagine if I just looked at the last round of all of the property tax relief that the legislature has ever given. Like I rewind back to Rick Perry creating the business margins tax and that delivering X billion dollars of property tax relief. And I say, well, it still is. So we're going to deliver you $50 billion of property tax relief. It's really absurd. It really loses its logic at some point. And so we're going to break that down um, today. And here's what I want y'all to do. If you are not familiar with Texans for Fiscal Responsibility, by the end of this show, you need to go to their website. You need to engage with their content. You need to follow along because this is who I go to to know where are we on the budget Where are we on property tax relief? What kind of policy solutions are out there? Uh, Outside of them, the Huffines Liberty Foundation, I think, are the two entities that are really doing the most work on uh, this issue. So with that, I'm going to bring on Tim. Tim, thank you for joining us today. Can you please tell our listeners kind of what the current situation is with the Texas budget? And then what kind of property tax relief is on the table? Uh, and then also where you see the discussion going when it comes to eliminating the MO portion of people's property taxes. My name is Tim Harden, president of Texans for Fiscal Responsibility. Thank you, Luke, for having me on the program. I appreciate it. Uh, to kind of break down where we are at in the budget, uh, I think we kind of have to start from last go round. Last go round, there was a very important piece of legislation passed by Senator Kelly Hancock. Uh, this put a population plus inflation cap on our budget uh, that actually exempted property tax relief. Uh, flash forward to this session, they just came out with the GAA, the General Appropriations Act, uh, and essentially, um, it 
has come in under uh, the cap. And uh, the cap that actually everyone is worried about is not that cap that exempted a property tax relief, but rather the constitutional cap, uh, which is very, very similar. And so we were allowed to grow uh, based on this cap to 12.3%. Uh, it is actually much, much higher than usual. And that is because we're a high inflationary environment right now with 9% inflation over the last year. And so as it stands right now, our current budget is under that cap by about $4 billion. And so that's roughly where we're at. We have a little bit of wiggle room if we wanted to spend more on property tax relief. Uh, what is being talked about right now in, as far as the form of property tax relief uh, that is being offered in the budget, uh, what they're saying is it is $15 billion in property tax relief. Pretty much uh, both sides of the legislature have members or senators saying this. Uh, that actually is not uh, accurate or uh, intellectually honest, in my opinion. Um, of, of that $15 billion, 5.3 is left over from 2019. This is HB3. Uh, this is when they compress rates. And so of that 15 billion, 5.3 is old compression that was passed years ago that actually went into effect last year for the first time, 2022, I believe. Um, of the leftover, we have 9.7 in actual new relief. And of that 9.7, 3 billion of that has been set aside for a homestead exemption increase. They're planning on taking our current homestead exemption, which was just raised from twenty-five dollars to $40,000. And they're trying to raise it now from $40,000 to $70,000. So we have $3 billion there in new relief. And then we have 6.7 left over. And this is actual MO compression. So they're taking uh, the $6.7 billion and compressing school maintenance and operation taxes down statewide. And so it's important for us to realize that when they say 15 billion, it's actually not 15 billion in new relief. And when they say, uh, or, or when we, we talk 9.7, it's important to know that only six of that is actual compression. Uh, homestead exemptions can, uh, can help. Uh, I'm not a big fan of, uh, of homestead exemptions because ultimately they are dependent on inflation. This is why we had to raise from 25 to 40 and give us a couple years we'll have to raise again uh, because they're not based on percentages. And so it's not, it, it's a good, it's relief, but it is not the best form of relief. The best form of relief is compression, which takes us into kind of the final point, which is MO elimination. And the reason compression is superior to homestead exemption is because we're actually compressing rates. And if we compress rates enough, there is a number of different bills. Uh, there's a number of different bills this go around that would use 90% of our $32.6 billion surplus to pay down on compression rates and, and many of those bills stipulate until compression rates are zero. So with compression, we can actually lower rates down to zero over a timeline. What we've estimated is anywhere from four to 10 years, depending on the plan you go. And so we would like to see as much compression money offered as possible. Uh, there's a, a few different ways to do it, and there's a few different bills. We're kind of really behind a lot of them. Uh, it just depends on which one gets uh, the backing. But that is essentially the rundown of what's going on right now uh, with the current bill. So the Senate and the House both introduced their own budget, right? So you have each of them. I, mean, I, want, I want to kind of explain to people who don't know how the budgetary process works. They each uh, file their own bills. In some sessions past, they've been kind of far off of each other. Joe Strauss's budgets and Dan Patrick's budgets used to be pretty darn uh, different, and then they battle it out in between. These budgets seem to be pretty in line, meaning the legislature on both sides seem to be on board with this being where they start and basically deciding what they do with the remaining $4 billion that's unallocated. Is that is that kind of the lay of the land as people are seeing? 
Yeah, your assessment's correct. They used to be different. They are almost identical, uh, especially in this important property tax. They're identical in, in every way. So they seem to be on the same page as of right now. If they spend the $4 billion that they have left to spend, but they stop at the cap, how much of their surplus, all, all of the taxpayer money that they're sitting on, how much of that are they basically just pocketing to keep for the next budget cycle? Uh, if we added $4 billion in compression, uh, even if we add in that $3 billion, we're going to be sitting right under 15 actually $15 billion, right? And so subtract that from 32, it's still less than half of that surplus. So we're looking at about 45% of that surplus if they add in the four, $4 billion. And I know that some of the surplus is getting, is any of the surplus getting spent on other things in the budget too? I'm kind of, tr I'm trying to figure out how much of it is actually getting unspent total, like we're, we're not busting the cap, how much money around are they basically rolling in and, and pocketing until the next budget cycle? Um, well, they're they're only going to be allowed to spend up to that cap if they refuse to break the cap. And yes, so, um, so essentially, uh, we would have to roll roughly 17 billion to stay under under that cap uh, and they would likely put it into a fund they create they would roll it forward uh and and there's actually ways that that could work out well as well you know uh but it just really depends on what the final form of this bill actually looks like as to what you know what actually happens and you know things can change very quickly uh once we actually get talking so Morgan Meyer kind of early on during the interim basically alludes to something around four or five billion dollars of property tax relief. Dan Patrick kind of rolled out a plan that was closer to the seven billion dollar number at one point. Greg Abbott came out and said, look, all of this is your money. We need to give half of it back to you. Right. Which was less than 30 billion at the time. But, but now it's over 30. Yeah, no. it was 28 billion at the time. Let's say he's talking about 14 billion. But now it's 33 and Abbott has doubled back down on that figure. So according to Abbott, $33 billion of your money, Texans, we have that we collected more than we thought we were going to. So of that $33 billion, we really, he thinks, should return half of it to you and keep half of it to basically spend more money on government, <laughs> right? Which let's just be honest with what we're talking about. We're like, hey, we gave you $33 billion too much. And they're like, look, we're going to give 16 and a half of it back. We're going to spend 16 and a half. We'll call it even. Now, some people wouldn't be too happy with that equation. The current plan is to give $9.7, $9.6 billion back. And then the rest of it is either spent on new government programs under the current budget or is pocketed for them to spend on more government later, two years from now. is That's kind of our current lay of the land to break it down in layman's terms. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, that that is correct, and and uh, it's funny you mentioned that. You know, all of them, whether it's Patrick or Abbott, have said this is your money, right? Uh, but the funny thing is, then they'll follow that statement with, "We're going to give half of it back." I mean, this would be essentially, you know, if you had a five dollar hamburger and you spent fifteen dollars on it, and you're like, "Hey, I want a refund," they're like, "Okay, well, I'll give you, I'll give you five dollars back instead of 10 It's like, well, but that other five is my money. Right. Yeah. So, um, so, and then they, and then they put a budget together and they're like, actually it's like 3 billion Yeah. because remember that time we gave you two last week? Well, we're still going to give it back. What do you mean? You're still getting what, what yeah. is happening here? You know, we're counting that, that compression. Here's our goal with compression. It, you articulated it. Why you prefer that over a homestead is that it basically creates like a new ceiling. We, we push it down little by little. So even though these politicians might not be on board with eliminating property taxes entirely, every time they push down, it's very hard for them to pull back. And, and some of this is maybe why they try to, are, they're trying to 
take double credit for this relief they did last session because once they compress the rate, they have to keep funding it every two years because if they don't, everyone's property taxes are yeah. skyrocketing back up, right? So if they fund another $5 billion in compression next next session, they have to fund that $5 billion. Even if we're in a recession, even if the economy's gone down, even if these other things have happened, if they pull back on that compression, that really is going to be, people are going to be feeling it the next time they get their property tax bill. And then they're going to turn around and go, what are you doing? You know, so we basically create a new normal every time we push it down. And I want to make sure I'm understanding this right. And everybody else is too. By compressing the rate, we basically give money to public schools and say, this is not new money, public education system. This is X billion dollars we're writing you. And this is going to be X billion less that you collect from your property tax local taxpayers. And so that is the that is essentially what a compression is, is we're giving you money and you're not allowed to take this much money that we're giving you from those people. And now your property tax bills come down. Um, but with that being said, if your appraisal goes up and everything goes, that can often eat into that compression. Is that correct? Uh, that is correct. And, and that's why I think it's worth mentioning that if we're serious about something like eliminating the MNO, then we're going to have to impose some local, uh, some local laws, some local uh, restrictions on these governments. Uh, whether that be, we've talked about uh, you moving the no new revenue rate or the vote approval rate down to the no new revenue rate. But I think more importantly, in terms of MNO compression, we have to freeze MNO uh, so they're not able to you know, play these games. And so that way, when we compress it down, they're not able to, you know, play all, play all these games they can. I think uh, putting a spending cap on local governments in the same way we put on uh, state government, uh, a population plus inflation cap would be helpful as well. Um, so, uh, you know, this is, this is a lot more confusing than just, hey, we're going to pay them down. We also have to make sure that local governments are being responsible with their budgets uh, and not playing games that they have been known to play to prolong the process of essentially we're moving MO to GR in the state. That's that's essentially what we're doing if we're putting mm -hmm. ourselves on a path to elimination. So the current budget as is proposed, let's go back to Greg Abbott's statements that he made during his televised debate with Beto O'Rourke. He said... Uh, and you can probably quote it better than I can because we all share this on the regular basis. Uh, so why don't I just let you tell everybody sure. what exactly he said? Yeah, we have been posting this as a reminder every Friday uh, on social media uh, just to remind him because he does have a state of the state and shortly thereafter he'll release his priorities. And the last thing that he said in that debate was my goal is to eliminate school property taxes so Texans can actually own their home. We make yeah. an assumption that when he says school property taxes, we are talking about maintenance, not Operation. That has been the main narrative from pretty much all of the groups. So uh, he said it and we want to hold him accountable for what he promised in campaign season. And we, we want that to be a priority. We want elimination put into statute. It is very important this session that we get that. Great. Um, the budgets that have been proposed don't seem to be written with the intent of putting Texas on a pathway to eliminating eliminating MNO. Is that correct? That's correct. The budget doesn't know. Yeah. yeah. So so these guys, as they've got all this money and they're sitting down and they're writing their different stuff, they are not uh they, they don't seem to be in the back rooms having a conversation to say, how can we put Texas on a pathway to MNO elimination? The governor said it on the campaign trail, and the governor said hey, I'd like to see you deliver at least half of this money back. They don't seem really intent on delivering half of it back because that's $16.5 billion. That's not where they're at. 
Um, I, it wouldn't surprise me if if the governor goes along with their counting old relief with this new relief, right? So if he agrees with their 15 billion number, he's going to say, hey, as long as y'all give another billion and a half in compression, like you've done what I told you to do, right? 16 and a half billion dollars. But you and I would know that that's actually just a little over 10 billion in new relief that these people will be getting. And yep. so um, that's really where we're at. We have two different things we're going to watch. We're saying the 4 billion that's left Y'all, y'all are telling the legislature they, they need to put all of that into compression. So if they are going to all hold the position, hey, we can't bust the spending cap, we don't want to do that, then you still got $4 billion more that you can put into compression. And ideally compression over a homestead exemption because it's that permanent pushdown. And then secondarily, conservatives are okay if you bust the cap to give us more of our money back. Right. I mean, it's, it's like if somebody, you, you mentioned you know, the analogy, it's like, Hey, I, I know I charged you 15 bucks for this $5 hamburger. I actually really can't give you $10 back, you know? And it's yeah. like, why? Well, cause there's this thing and it's a spending <laughs> cap and like, it wouldn't be fiscally responsible for me to give you like all $10 back. And you're like, wait, why? Well, we have a general rule that we keep this much and we do this. This is how we operate a business and we're a pretty fiscally responsible hamburger shop. So like <laughs> we just generally have a limit on what we give people back and we've never broken that. And we, we just wouldn't want to give it to all. So that's basically what they're saying is, Hey guys, I'm really sorry, but these fiscal restraints prevent us from giving you all of your money back that you have given us beyond what we need to deliver the government services that we have agreed to deliver you. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's important once again to, to mention there's a few different caps, right? And so, uh, as I mentioned, the one passed last go round, we're not in danger of breaking. And that one actually is the harder one to break. It's two thirds majority to break that. The constitutional spending cap, which is what they're talking about, can be broken by a simple majority. And guess what? Republicans have that. Uh, so if we wanted to break that cap for property tax relief, which I would agree with you, I don't think anybody's going to have a problem with that. We can break it with simple majority. We don't need one Democrat to do that. Uh, also, keep in mind that there is other ways to stay under the cap and provide more relief. Something like cutting government spending. And we can yep. actually take away uh, wasteful spending in other areas of the budget. And there's lots to choose from. Um, and we can actually move that and replace it with property tax relief. And so there's actually a number of different ways they could accomplish more uh, if they really want to. Mm -hmm. Yep. Well, Tim, thanks for coming on and, and kind of breaking that down. Why don't you give our listeners just a couple other policies outside of property taxes in the budget that Texans for Fiscal Responsibility is kind of following, monitoring, and looking at this session? Absolutely. Uh, so the two we've mentioned are part of our Texas Prosperity Plan. The third plank of that would be banning taxpayer-funded lobbying. And right now with the strongest bill is Senator Mays Middleton uh, in his first round in the Senate. It's a really strong outright ban against taxpayer-funded lobbying. Uh, TPPF just came out and I think the latest uh, uh, stat is $75 million spent by local governments on corporate lobbyists to work against your interests. So we'll be opposing uh, or, or supporting a ban on taxpayer-funded lobbying. The other big one is is the the whispers that the chapter 313 abatements might come back this is the biggest corporate welfare program in Texas totaling about 11 billion dollars it expired this last December uh, but there's been many rumors and feeling as even now right come out and said he supports bringing it back in another form uh, we have yet to see anything uh, that would suggest we have a, a, a we have that yet but I would keep our eye out for that and we would absolutely be opposing that we should not be giving corporations multinational multi-billion dollar corporations 
property tax abatements at whose expense? The taxpayer's expense. So the time when we're being pushed out of our homes uh, because of inflation and energy prices, uh, we do not need to be stealing money from Texas taxpayers and giving them to Facebook and other corporations that, that even cancel conservatives. And so I'd say those are the two biggest things. And then there's you know a slew of others that we don't have time to talk about. Yeah, well, if you are interested in following those policies and knowing where they're at, again, you can follow along Texans for Fiscal Responsibility. You can go to texastaxpayers.com. You can sign up. They send out regular email updates. They update people on all their social media channels. Uh, guys, I know a lot of you uh, are familiar with the work they do, but if you're not, please just follow along. Uh, again, we all have things that we do and you have things that you're passionate about. A lot of you are passionate about immigration first and foremost, or the transgender issues first and foremost. And, you know, Tim knows that, uh, if I had my choice of banning gender modification on kids or delivering property tax relief, I'd take gender modification every day, twice on Sundays. And so, uh, you know, that's the reality of where we're at, but these are still incredibly important issues that are going to be discussed during this session. And you need to follow along. Also, our property tax issue, to me, the property tax issue, this is maybe why I, I still like the homestead exemption um, as part of it, is that the most important thing to me for property taxes is that as a state, we value the ability for people in a lower class in society to actually build long-term wealth and and honestly, just a, a self-respect that comes with the ability to own land, right? We've talked on this program about legislation that Lois Golkors is pushing to say Chinese companies, Chinese citizens, members of the Chinese Communist Party cannot purchase land because this is a privilege. And it's a privilege that I would like for more Texans to have. People who are on fixed incomes, people who are trying to raise one or two or three kids and property taxes make things completely unsustainable because ultimately when your mortgage payment, 30% of it is your annual property tax bill, it eats away at your ability to get into your own home. It makes people permanent renters, which also puts puts them in a permanent class in society and, and honestly traps them in a mindset that is much harder for them to actually build wealth, to build a financial posterity that they can pass on to their children. So there's so many things other than just that annual check that you write. Some of you, I, I, in fact, I know listeners to this program that write very large property tax bills every single year and they complain about it. And some of them write incredibly large property tax bills on incredibly large homes that they have. And that is a burden to them, but it is not actually affecting their ability to accumulate wealth, to pass that on to their children, to build opportunities. And in this situation, the property tax system that we have, when, when Abbott says, so that you can own your own home, this is what we all heard Don Huffine say when he ran for governor. I want you to own your own home. Really what they're telling you and what we're at least grateful that Abbott finally admitted is that in Texas right now, you don't really own your own home. You don't pay your property taxes for one year. It's going away. They can take your home for you, Texans, for several thousand dollars that you owe the government. And so this is why this issue is incredibly important. I'm grateful for Tim for coming on and kind of breaking it down, updating us on what's going on. Tim, is there anything else you want to say as we close this out? Well, I would say on your last comment, sir, I just, just finished an article uh, entitled The Ethics of Property Taxes. And I talk about that very thing, how it, 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 it unfortunately affects lower income people. So I encourage you to go to our website to do that. Uh, other than that, uh, thank you for having me. Uh, it was a pleasure and I hope to see you again, Luke. Yeah. God bless you, Tim. Thanks. Thank you for listening to The Luke Macias Show. To find out more information about what's going on here in Texas, visit texasscorecard.com.